A good Tuesday morning to you. It is February 15th, and regardless of what time of the day you're catching this, we're grateful to have you here. Ryan Jesperson here with you. Samuel G. Brooks, Sarah Hoyles, Team Real Talk, ready to go on episode two of what is a uh, certainly a jam-packed week. There's a lot going on in just a second. We're going to check in with a good friend of the show, Natasha Kornack, a former conservative staffer. She's uh, an Alberta uh, born and raised she's she's politically aware she's she's politically hyper tuned and would still qualify as a young person she's taken up a career opportunity to move east to ottawa and she's been making some observations by way of her social media on what she's seeing around her in her new city we're looking forward to checking in with natasha in just a couple of minutes uh salvatore durante is uh, a registered provisional psychologist taking a look at censorship and whether or not it's bueno or no bueno. And, and it turns out that uh, Salvatore has some some real concerns about where censorship is going. And this fits into a whole bunch of things we've been talking about, including the Joe Rogan experience, Joe Rogan's podcast. But we're going to talk about books that are being banned. How does George Floyd's murder fit into this? That conversation coming up a little later on in the show. And for all you nature lovers out there, Real Talk does what we can to save the whales today. We're five days away. Sunday is World whale day and we're grateful to be able to check in with the filmmaker of a new film last of the right whales uh we're going to be uh, getting into that in about 40 minutes from now i have a thing for whales whales to me are are among the most magnificent creatures on earth if they don't take the top spot they're certainly top three in my world i don't know about you but i think we're going to learn a lot today i'm looking forward to that plus we'll review the results of our most recent question of the week Presented by Y Station, our research and strategy partners. How do you feel about the Ottawa occupation, the Coots border blockade and everything else going on right now? The Ambassador Bridge between Detroit and Windsor free flowing again. The prime ministers invoke the Emergencies Act. The liberals did yesterday. Sarah Hoyles has an update on that. So as you can see, a lot to talk about. Let's get rolling. Our friends at Bitcoin. Well, I checked in with them yesterday. Speaking of the Emergencies Act, there's going to be implications for financial tracking. And Christia Freeland, Canada's finance minister, was talking about that a little bit. She says this is going to involve things like crowdfunding sites, like GoFundMe. And what was that other one? Go Send Me? This is like the alternative. Give, send, go. Give, send, go. Is that like Chris? Is that's like the Crystal Pepsi of crowdfunding? That yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. GoFundMe is like the big dog. And then Give, Send, Go is like if GoFundMe kicks me off, this is where you can go. Yeah. Well, there's going to be FinTrack or financial tracking implications to this. And Christopher Freeland said the word crypto yesterday, too. I reached out to Adam. I go, so what's the deal? Bitcoin enthusiasts, investors and the like. He says, well, not much will change for Bitcoin companies. He says, we've been FinTrack compliant since 2013. So they're coming up on nine years, if not already. If you have questions about that kind of stuff, they love to talk to you. They love to help get you in the know on Bitcoin. You'll find Bitcoin well under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Natasha Kornack in just a second. Uh, but first, of course, as you know, Sarah Hoyles keeps an eye on news as it develops. And we want to make sure that we hit the ground running today with a full understanding of what's going on around us. Sarah, yesterday, I think the, the federal government, the liberal government under Justin Trudeau raised a few eyebrows. A lot of people said this is a step in the right direction. And the conservatives, uh, the official opposition appear to be concerned, at least to a certain degree, about the prime minister invoking this Emergencies Act for the first time in about 50 years. Can you take us into this specifically? I know you've been doing some digging on what it means. 
What does it mean? Well, it means that it strengthens the police's powers to impose fines and imprison people. I think some of the criticism has been that, you know, the police could already arrest people and uh, tow truck companies could already tow away vehicles. It's just that there wasn't necessarily a will for them to do so. So this also compels tow truck companies to help clear blockades. Ah. Um, it allows banks to freeze personal and corporate accounts of individual protesters. Um, and it also, as you mentioned, subjects uh, crowdfunding companies to anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules. Christia Freeland kind of, I, I guess, summed it up in one sentence. And she says yesterday to reporters, this is about following the money. That's what they're trying to do. When you start talking about, you know, it, multiple millions of dollars or in the tens of millions of dollars, even with some of this crowdfunding, you can understand why that might be important. The other big story people are following yesterday is the RCMP seizure of what were they saying, Sarah? I think more than a dozen long guns, uh, some handguns, a bunch of ammo, some body armor, and uh, the police doing the classic photo, the seizure photo in front of an RCMP SUV yesterday. You see it all laid out like that, and it changes the game a little bit with regards to how some people might perceive the spirit or what's driving or what's behind this border blockade. Yeah, 11 people detained. 13 long guns, but on top of that, there were handguns, multiple sets of body armor, as you can see in that photo, a machete, a large quantity of ammunition, and some high-capacity magazines. So the, these folks that had these guns and this ammunition were ready to go. I, well, I mean, that's the allegation, I guess. I saw it. It depends on who posts the information. Mm. So I saw somebody yesterday posting that information and they say RCMP have seized these, or I think the wording was RCMP have supposedly seized these weapons. And then all the comments, people started going in and saying, there's no scuffs on these rifles. These rifles haven't been banging around in the bush. These rifles all look brand new. These rifles look like they've all just been bought at Cabela's. And then finally somebody came in and just said it. These rifles look like they were planted by the police. And so I see that conspiracies are swirling around. People believe that police have, have placed these rifles there to allow them to take action to bust up this blockade. But I'll tell you what, uh, reasonable people, I think, would would probably uh, give the credibility to the police on this one, as opposed to those that are blocking the border. And let me say a very or let me ask a very simple question. Who brings high powered rifles and thousands of rounds of ammo to a peaceful protest. If someone can answer that question for me, I'd love to have them on the show. Pretty shocking stuff, that image there. And to be honest with you, it probably gives a lot of people, including me, pause to think about why the police may have been somewhat hesitant to come in there. I mean, metaphorically speaking, guns blazing. If there was some intel that there was essentially a small armory set up in some of those trailers that were down there blocking the border. Yeah, I mean, we saw that there was a tractor used to try to take and take out a police vehicle the other day. So it's not that there wasn't already indications that tensions were very high. Yeah, um, I think the argument could be made that, you know, the time that was allowed for people to amass and collect and come together with ammunition or guns or just their seething anger. Uh, it was allowed to go on for quite some time and, and have quite a buildup. So, you know, to say that the police were maybe worried about coming in there, uh, the longer that they are allowed to, to stay there and sit there and, and be there at the Coots border, 
and Milk River, uh, the longer they have to organize. Yeah, well, not. Yeah. And, and like you're alluding to, not to mention people showing up as well with special deliveries. You never know what that looks like, but we can only speculate. That's what civilians do when it comes to police action. Right. We'll learn more as time goes on. You have to assume there's going to be public inquiries based on all of this. Sarah Hoyles is following these stories as they develop. Uh, Natasha Cornex has been a good friend of this show since inception. Uh, she's a born and raised Alberta girl, a former conservative staffer, passionate about public policy and you engagement in politics she recently relocated to ottawa uh, to take advantage of an exciting new opportunity and she's been kind enough to join us live this morning from our nation's capital it's nice to see your face again how are you doing i'm doing well thanks ryan how are you yeah i'm doing all right thank you give us a sense of where you're at i've been following your tweets and it sounds to me like you're one of the thousands that have been subjected to non-stop honking and and demonstrating and protesting i know you've got nothing against people's right to protest but what's your reality right now yeah, so uh, the Ottawa police have set up a perimeter uh, basically around, um, you know, Wellington Street where the House of Commons is and uh, a bunch of other um, like streets just around there. Uh, so I'm right on the perimeter, basically. Um, and yeah, uh, so I uh, a lot of trucks are coming and going up and down one of the streets right outside my building. And back when um, the honking has kind of subsided in the last few days, but during the heat of it, you know, it was incessant and it was, uh, you know, really hard to get sleep. <laughs> and uh, it's been a little, it's been a little hectic. You know, I, I live right, you know, not too far from a local shopping center that is really convenient for when you want to get groceries. And that one's closed another grocery store. The alternative has closed as well. Um, as far as I know. And, so it's just been a lot, like a, a lot of inconveniences and also a little bit of safety concerns on um, my end as well. Yeah, let me ask you about that. You tweeted a few days ago. I don't have it in front of me, but the, the spirit of your tweet was I'd love to go out and walk around, but I'm not sure I feel safe doing so right now. What, what was prompting you to feel that way? Um, a lot of reports from people talking about um, instances of harassment and assault. Uh, there have been a number of um, reports about people who have been uh, harassed and assaulted in their workplaces, like while walking to work, for example. There's a really nice ice cream shop that I really wanted to try called Mushu. Um, <laughs> and I guess one of their uh, one of their employees was assaulted um, while walking to work and they closed for a number of days. So those types of things, you know, I've heard a lot of my female friends, I actually heard about someone getting accosted and, um, you know, cursed at and while just running to get a coffee. And so, you know, I, I think for me, it's more, you know, what's the, what's the cost benefit of me going out and do I really want to subject myself to that? Um, not to say that all of the protesters are violent or doing these sorts of things, but it's definitely something where there's been a lot of, um, instances of that sort of behavior and it's it's a little bit off off-putting and and a little bit scary especially as a as a young woman yeah so the prime minister the, the federal government invokes this emergencies act yesterday and we'll wait to see what ultimately that means but the federal government is stepping in you're you're starting to see some stronger language i guess from ontario's premier doug ford and and certainly i i think there have been some negotiations 
somewhat public by way of letters being posted between Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, and this Tamara Lick, this uh, this protest organizer. She says no deal's been reached, but you can tell that the mayor is doing what he can. Uh, Ottawa's police chief kind of remains AWOL on this, but I digress. Uh, the point of my question to you is, with all of this happening, these recent developments over the last 24, 48, 72 hours, do you get the sense firsthand as you look outside your window that this thing is starting to wind down? I mean, what impression do you get? So it's, it's really hard for me to say, and I've been really cautious to not give a play by play as to what, what's going on because my, I'm kind of on the perimeter. Um, I have seen a lot of trucks still parked in residential areas. Um, I still see people on social media posting about where they're, you know, they're sleeping in their trucks. Um, so there definitely still are a number of trucks in on residential streets where there's apartment buildings. There's some just down the block from my building. So they're still here. Um, and I mean, in terms of it winding down, I think the weekends tend to be kind of party central here. Um, it was probably like Canada's largest Super Bowl party. Yeah, it looks Sunday, like I it looks like and Big Valley Jamboree out there for the Alberta reference. I mean, it looks like people are just having big parties there every single night, which I can understand has maybe become less and less about vaccine mandates. And more and more about people just getting together to share in their disdain for the federal liberals. That's kind of what it strikes me as right now. I think what gets me is like, I haven't been to a party or social gathering like that in years. <laughs> I haven't, you know, we canceled Christmas. I had COVID over Christmas. Um, and, you know, we, we had to do all of those things. And we've given up all these sorts of, you know, events in our lives. And there's this massive party going on downtown that's disrupting people's sleep. And, you know, it's, um, it's frustrating and it kind of just feels like rubbing salt into a wound, I think. Yeah. Um, Are you hearing yeah, the same from your neighbors? I mean, is there like, you're, yeah. you're in, a, you're in a, an apartment building. I'm in an apartment building and then I have friends who are in, um, you know, more in center town. So kind of up here is um, kind of towards the U Ottawa campus and, and, further down is relatively safe. I haven't seen a lot of things like that happening down here, but um, towards center town. And as you get closer to parliament, uh, there's definitely a lot more. And I had friends who are living in apartment buildings down there who feel like they haven't been able to get sleep and they don't feel comfortable going outside, um, especially some of my friends who are from racialized communities. Before I uh, thank you for your time, I know you got a day to get started there in Ottawa. It's uh, coming up on 11 o'clock in the morning for you. I, I want to ask you, you've, you've been a political staffer. You're politically engaged. You've encouraged other relatively young people to get involved in politics. I know you're passionate about it. Uh, the party that's experienced the greatest upheaval since this thing started is, is the Conservative Party uh, with relatively moderate uh, former leader Aaron O'Toole been sent packing by MPs. And now the front runner very early in the process of this leadership race appears to be Pierre Polyev, who still I saw in a yesterday interview doubling down on his support for the truckers. He's starting to to, to sort of uh, issue a bunch of, of caveats on his endorsement. He says, I he says, I support the peaceful law abiding protesters in including truckers, where his language last week was, I stand with the truckers. But he's doubling down on that, as is Candace Bergen, the interim leader and other prominent conservative MPs. Are you concerned about the future direction of the conservative party and the message that the party is sending to moderate Canadians? So I think that the party does need to figure out where it stands on a lot of things. I think the challenge that the conservative party has is it's really tried to maintain this coalition and 
the issue is, yes, you, you really have to walk a fine line as the leader of that party to keep everyone together. So I, I think that the idea of having a big blue tent has always just been, you know, the, the narrative that the Conservative Party stands by. I think going forward, the Conservative Party needs to say, okay, maybe we're a big blue tent, but we have rigid walls around that, that tent, which means that there need to be lines drawn in the sand as to what the party will and won't support. And I think they have a lot of internal issues that they need to flush out in terms of how they deal with some of these social awakenings that are happening. Um, and you need the right kind of leader who's willing to have those hard conversations and actually listen to people and embrace nuance in our political discourse. Um, who that is, I, I will be interested to see going forward as the race evolves. Um, if you but and I, I if you concern. and I were having a beer together right now and we were going to put 20 bucks down and you had to guess and you don't want to lose your 20 bucks, you had to guess who you think is going to be the next leader of the party. Where would your money be right now? Right this minute. I, I don't doubt that Pierre Polyev will be the next leader of the conservative party. Um, but that's because it's, it's about who shows up. Yeah. Right. It's about who shows up in that leadership race and who cast their votes and ballots. Um, and I think that the current uh, constituency of the of the conservative membership really aligns with where uh, Mr. Polly stands on a lot of issues. But I do think that going forward, electorally speaking, the party is really going to have to look at how it expands its base and who it wants to expand to bring into its constituency and bring into the fold and bring into that big blue tent. Whether that's more people in the center or more people on the right, that's something that the party is going to have to figure out. But um, in terms of the leadership, it's really about who has the membership and who shows up. If you've ever watched somebody frame a house, the best framers on the planet are the ones that can place that nail quickly and with one fell swoop, just nail it. And that's what I think you did exactly right there, Natasha, with one swing of your hammer. It's so great to see you back on the show. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. I recommend you follow Natasha Kornack on Twitter at Natasha underscore Kornack. Sarah Hoyles, our editorial producer, pushes out a tweet every single morning from our account at Real Talk RJ that lets you know who's coming up on the show. And that's where you can follow along with a lot of our guests. We love the emails, the feedback we get from people that say I, my Twitter follows are basically just all the Real Talk guests. I love that you've put them on our radar and I appreciate that. Thanks to Natasha. I've got some emails I want to get to, but but first we're going to be talking about censorship in just a second. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to make all of us think I guarantee you that i have been waiting 22 and a half hours to get to this ad read for local waste and it's it's not necessarily because i'm so excited that they keep it local in construction commercial and residential waste and recycling collection you already know that but yesterday i was doing my best to have sort of a flood of valentine's puns when it came to local waste and and i don't remember which ones i went with but but something along the lines of like are, are you feeling dirty or trashy on this valentine's that sort of a thing and then after I finished the ad read, like moments after, Sam, I saw in our live chat, Jake, who deserves a shout out today, Jake had submitted a line for the local waste ad read on Valentine's Day. How did I miss this? Jake wondered, have you recently been dumped? Oh, there you go. And I was like, Jake, I was yelling it from the studio. Jake, that is miles ahead of anything I could have come how up many, with. How many points does Jake get? I'm going to give Jake... An unprecedented five points Whoa. on the Real Talk leaderboard. Okay. Jake, uh, go on our website to find out where you can redeem your points. <laughs> You'll be looking all day, bud. But those five points are all yours, Jake. See, I even put it on a post-it note to read to give you credit today. Have you recently been dumped? 
Are you looking to maybe dump your waste and recycling collector, the one that's charging you way too much for the service they actually kind of sort of decently provide? Why not check out localwaste.ca today and request a quote? My friends at Dairy Queen, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, they were all over the Valentine's puns yesterday. It was actually... I wanted to give them credit because I was pretty impressed. Like, they were like, you're the dip to my cone. You got to follow them on Instagram. Of all the strips in the basket, I choose you. I liked it, so I put a ring on it. Don't forget the Dairy Queen onion rings, very popular. And then, of course, this one. I tell you how much you mean to me, but I don't want it to be cheesy. Okay, Dairy Queen. Well done. So you're better than us at the puns. All right, fine. If you go check out the Dairy Queens in the Northwest Edmonton Sherwood Park area, we're talking Baseline Road, Westmount, Newcastle, Nemeo, and Palisades. Right now, a brand new burger menu. You can see it online, too. This new burger menu, unbelievable. The signature stack burgers, the bacon two cheese deluxe, the original, the OG, the original cheeseburger, the loaded steakhouse burger. That's my personal recommendation. The mushroom cheeseburger, and if you really want to kick it up a notch, the flamethrower available in single, double, or triple yeah triple flamethrower burger if you're sick and tired of messing around at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park well we've been uh, talking about this story because it, it pops up and then fades away and then pops up and then fades away that's how these sort of pop culture newsworthiness type scenarios work right and so when you're talking about arguably the biggest podcast in the world the joe rogan experience and you get a list of experts voices from around the world just under 300 of them uh, chiming in saying spotify's got to dump this guy or there has to be some sort of a some sort of a preamble that runs like a warning like a like some sort of a uh, a disclaimer that runs before his podcast because of the misinformation and the guests that he's bringing on and and, and the, the sort of anti-science approaches that some of these voices have taken in the middle of a pandemic and it's irresponsible and we should just shut him down some folks are going, well, I don't prefer Joe Rogan, maybe. Some of you might love him. And you're going, but I'm not sure, you know, based on political persuasion or otherwise, whether or not censorship is the angle. Should we automatically move to shut something down just because we don't agree with it or even because we feel strongly that it's harmful? What's the right answer? What's the right approach? Salvatore Durante is a registered provisional psychologist with the College of Alberta psychologist, also a PhD student in educational psychology, a focus on counseling psychology at the U of A. He's just released a research paper on issues around censorship, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. Salvatore, welcome to the show, and thanks for making time for us. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. How did, how did this, uh, the issue of censorship, uh, wind up on your radar to the degree that you decided to dedicate your research efforts to it? Well, it really came out of a, a project um, I was really interested in. It was a film called Titty Cut Follies by uh, Frederick Wiseman. It was it came out in 1967, uh, and it showed the kind of um, the treatment that was going on at Bridgewater to some of the inpatients uh, and prisoners. In some cases, they were stripped naked, made uh, fun of openly by the guards, um, haphazardly shaved, uh, just deplorable. So this was shown in the in the 60s, but um, they really banned this because they didn't want this movie to come out. Um, the, the hospital at the time didn't really want it, right? Um, so for that time frame, they banned the film, uh, alleging that it was to protect uh, patient privacy. Yes, the director got their consent, but they were a vulnerable population. Um, so the consent was kind of questionable. 
think we might have lost Salvatore there. He's frozen up for a second, which means Sam will work to get him back. Not a big deal. And we'll pick up right where we left off. Uh, we're talking to Salvatore Durante, who's a, a registered provisional psychologist, just released a research paper on censorship. I'm also going to be asking him. Looks like we have him back. Salvatore, I think we've got you back. back. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Strange look. Yeah, like we, we lost you right after you were saying that that these filmmakers, the people calling the shots had had gone and secured consent. Uh, but you're not sure. It sounded like it was sort of. Uh, well, that's what they cited to, to continue the ban of the film. And um, that's what kind of resulted in it. it. Eventually came out on PBS in the 90s. But um, during that time, it could have had that psychiatric reform that was going on. There was a humanistic approach emerging in the 60s. Um, if we look at this time with psychiatry um, at that time, you know, there were still eugenics going on, right? Some of these poor treatments that really the medical model um, being forced to its ultimate ends, right? So those are just some things to keep in mind that kind of led to this project that I was involved in. Uh, but I guess before we even talk about um, censorship, um, one thing I should bring up is that there's an irony to it for me being on the show is that I am going to have to self-censor. So, so, you know, being with the College of Alberta Psychologists, I've agreed to a code of conduct, right? Yeah. Where I can't say things. So I can't diagnose people that I've never met. Um, some things I can't comment that are outside of my expertise, right? Also, it's kind of this sense of like compassionate responding is involved with, with self-censorship. So um, I see individuals like uh, Jordan Peterson at times, you know, they won't use uh, pronouns for people because they believe this infringes upon their rights. But I take the approach of like, I won't repeat, um, you know, racial slurs or, um, you know, misuse people's pronouns because it's not compassionate, right? We need to use people's first language. Um, so, you know, even the case of Joe Rogan, his use of the N-word, for example, that, that's been spliced, um, to, you know, to really show that he's, you know, these information that they wanted to kind of censor him, right? Um, it's a misuse, right? It's not coming from a compassionate part as well. So if you're going to say whatever you want, right? And we see this happening. A lot of people like, I can see freedom of expression, right? There's consequences to that. I can't say whatever I want because I consented to a code of conduct, right? So if you're going to say whatever you want, don't be surprised that if you're going to have consequences, if you're going to lose your job, if it's going to offend people, right? Because maybe you're not coming from a compassion part. Ryan, you might know this, right? <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I've heard that some people have, have paid with their jobs for things that they've said. Yeah, yeah, and some yeah. of those people wouldn't change a thing. Um, oh, yeah. Salvatore, let me, let me ask you. You you use you, you invoke a phrase that I don't hear people use oftentimes, and that is self-censorship. And, and I wonder yeah. if that's because the word censorship is perceived as a negative Right. But but what you're describing with regards to self-censorship, I like that you paired it with the word empathy. Uh, you, yeah. you may also compassion. call it compassion. And I'm, I'm calling I'm teaching our six and a half year old what it means to, quote, keep it classy. And I say, don't forget yeah. to keep it classy. That means you treat people properly. I self-censor on this show. Right. We can say fuck all we want. But there are mm. times when I've felt like a problem would be best solved if someone would walk up to two people, grab them by the shirts and crack their skulls together. But that's not a productive problem solving no. approach. Right. So I don't use this platform to to suggest that that's how problems should be solved. Perhaps that's self-censorship or maybe that's just me being decent. 
Right? It doesn't always pay to be decent, though. Sometimes it, it pays quite handsomely to be indecent. Well, I, I think it comes at whatever you want to kind of put at risk, right? Like, sure. if you really want to have an argument with somebody over an issue and you know this person's not going to really bend to you, um, okay, what's that say about you as well, right? Why are you fo- forcing your will? Because, like, even for myself, right, as part of my code, I can't put my bias onto people, right? It's best for me is the kind of my approach is kind of sit back and listen to understand, right? We can have our differences, but understanding each other, where we're coming from, regardless of how deplorable the other person is, they're still a human at the end of the day, right? So I I really push this humanistic approach um, to understanding people before attacking or or canceling with them. But let's not forget, there are consequences for your actions. There are laws in place. Um, so I make the argument, too, that censorship laws, um, like in the States, for example, there's the, the Miller test, right? This involves kind of censoring things because of um, evokes sexual desires, interests. It's, it's provocative, but also saying that something lacks artistic value, right? Who says that? Who has control to say that? Yeah. But really, there's these laws in place that make censorship laws redundant, right? So, for example, there's laws around... Um, you know, you can't kill somebody, right? There's murder laws, there's, um, you know, child pornography, uh, you know, vulnerable population, there's hate crimes, right? Um, so using that as, as a kind of a guide, and that's where it kind of led me, because I was forced in this paper um, that I published, um, really to pick a side, are you for censorship or are you against censorship? So when I was looking at anti-censorship, I thought I could have these caveats, but discovering that the redundancy in laws kind of came to that conclusion, okay, the anti-censorship perspective makes more sense, but it doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth. You see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel good, the conclusion, right? Yeah. Because essentially, well, yeah. Well, and, and I feel like, I mean, the word censorship, first of all, is not understood by many people and it's misused by many people. Yes. I mean, there, there are those that would argue that uh, certain individuals should be, I should bring them onto this show and I should interview yeah. them. And I say, well, this person, you know, I mean, I'm making up a hypothetical here as opposed to some mm-hmm. of the real, you know, some someone that would that would, uh, you know, suggest that the Holocaust did not happen, was not real. Yeah. Um, I'm not bringing the person on the show. Right. There's yeah. there's not both sides to that. A Black History Month. I don't bring on a Klansman uh, to talk about mm-hmm. the other side of it, it, that's a hard no. And someone yes. may suggest and through the course of my career, people have that I am censoring people because I'm not providing a platform for certain voices. That is not censorship. But in your well, research, that's your autonomy, that's your autonomy. Right? Sure. You and it's my right. choice. And, and but but that's not censorship. Um, your research, no. though, you look at censorship and how it stifles people in progress. So what is that censorship and, and how does it stifle progress? I, I want to challenge us here. Well, I think it's a difficult question, because when we talk about progress, how are we going to have progress for even who? Right. Hmm. Um, when we look at even content, like in our, let's say, just for curriculum. Right. And there's a big upheaval right now with the sense of like who is telling the stories, who is telling the truth right now, who says that we're not ready for this information or that this information is offensive. Right. So there's a big talking about who, how we can have all these parallel parts. Um your, your discussion around kind of, um, you know, giving platforms to people too, right? Um, again, that, that reflects your autonomy, right? So kind of, um, you know, who can who can say what they can say. Um, but really the progress part is, is what I kind of, you know, struggle with because it could be, you know, how do you define that, right? Um, and who's at the forefront of that, right? So um, 
you know, progress for me when I talk about that film, the progress is in regards of like human, yeah, humanistic approach kind of came, but we just, but during that time, it seemed like, okay, the eugenics and kind of treating people as uh, you're a prisoner and you're, that's it. You know, you're, you're kind of stuck in this box. So that's how I kind of approach that, that type of uh, question. I don't, I don't disagree with a lot of what you're saying, um, mm-hmm. but some of it, I, I, quite frankly, I think you give too much credit to some people, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, because uh, number one, you say, and I, and I, this is great. The world needs more yeah. people like you saying that we should sit and, and with respect and listen to people and, and focus mm-hmm. on our humanity and we're all, and, and sure, but to a point. And well, I think uh, your I think your use of misinformation is is there's a lot of confusion around that. So I use misinformation around uh, the idea of it being blatant lies. So if somebody's using information that you know it's it wasn't peer reviewed, the, the the source was questionable, the the history contradicts that, right? There's all of those kind of moving parts in there. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, you're lying. It's a lie, right? You're providing misinformation. Now, if we're talking about information being called inaccurate, that's where we have to really kind of struggle with because really it's a it's an evolution of knowledge, right? What we thought was true at one point, we get new data and it becomes refined, right? So let's say, for example, in the age of COVID, right? We were told no mask, then mask. No, we need a we need a bigger, a thicker mask, <laughs> and so on and so on, right? So there's kind of these ideas around. Um, that it's, I think the terminology needs to be really clarified, uh, between that, right? Because misinformation's kind of taken on this, this idea of like, well, we're deeming something as accurate or inaccurate, right? Yeah. So what, so let me ask you, like, what would, so what would you say? And and I don't want to make this all about Joe Rogan because it's not, I mean, we could talk about, you know, Pulitzer prize winning book about the Holocaust mouse has joined the list of banned books and libraries. A friend of mine is posting on their Instagram. They're they're doing an entire bookshelf in their house of banned books. And I love it. I mean, the bookshelf itself is an art installation in their home. We can talk about that, but let me, let me bring it back to the Rogan example, because that's what everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about right now. That's what prompted the open letter last week. He's, He's got 100 million reasons to be happy to be on Spotify. He's the biggest, most subscribed podcast in the world. Uh, but he's also prompted the ire or invoked the ire of a whole bunch of people by bringing on, yeah. you know, what what some have deemed to be harmful voices in the context of the pandemic. What do you believe that Joe Rogan should do in response or that Spotify should do in response or for that matter, a governing body, which I'm going to be honest with you, makes me a little bit twitchy. But how do you think that this situation should be managed? Well, you know, it's kind of outside my expertise and I don't know them. Well, not really. No, but I want your opinion. What's your opinion as someone who's done a research paper on censorship? How should this be managed? It goes back to what I was saying, right? Like, okay, if I'm looking at Joe Rogan, okay, what is it? What is his credentials, right? Okay, if I'm looking at him, if I'm going to use him as a reference for my paper. Okay, Joe Rogan uh, was a comedian and he ran Fear Factor for a little while. Um, and he, he's pretty really good at yelling at people for fear factor and kind of UFC. Uh, these are his credentials, right? So, okay. The, the source is questionable. Now he's using data that, you know, he's, he's pushing forward ivermectin, right? In my paper, I talk about some of these COVID remedies. So, um, that are being pushed that are totally, you know, uh, questionable, right? When I look at the literature, uh, okay. So that's questionable, right? So I'm kind of going through these filters of like, why would I, why would I listen to this person if they don't have their credentials and the, the information that they're providing me, um, it's not coming from reliable sources or, 
yeah, there's no peer review process or who validated this information. So that's what I would take. Yeah. So it's even before engaging with material, it's, it's kind of understanding where it's coming from. Yeah. And, and that's what brings us back to conversations yeah. we've had on this show with people that believe that starting in elementary school, we need to start better yeah. educating students well, on how to identify too. valid sources of information yeah. and how to better discern, you know, what's legitimate and, and maybe what's problematic with regards to information sources. Yeah, I don't think I that the general public has that skill. Well, I turn to you, right? I mean, you're, you're pretty expert in the, in the world of radio and podcasts. How come Howard Stern uh, has lasted for how many decades compared to, you know, when he had, you know, he did blackface, he's used the N word, he's, yeah. um, you know, done you know, some of the, the sexual content that he's used, right? Yeah. He's lasted for so long. So these not only lasted, factors, I mean, he's the godfather. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people, that's what people are really into. Yeah. Um, since I kind of talk about films, it kind of really reminds me of that film kind of talk radio, right? Uh, I don't know if you ever seen. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the ending for people, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. It's, so it does it. Yeah, yeah boy, have I ever seen it. The happiest ending for some of these people. So yeah, uh, there are consequences for reaction. They for reactions, right? So yeah. Uh, again, I can't comment on it, but I would recommend for a lot of people look at what your what the information, the sources of that too. Yeah. Salvatore Durante, a registered provisional psychologist out of the U of A. Congrats on the research paper. All the best in your PhD, yeah, you. and thanks for making time yeah. for us. Well, yeah, this is my first rodeo, so thanks so much. Yeah, you did all right. Fun. You lasted the full eight seconds, pal. Oh, I yeah, love it. Yeah. Thanks so much. There you go. You bet. Uh, Salvatore touches on something. I mean, you know, Howard Stern hasn't just lasted. Uh, Howard Stern, I mean, in at the apex of the crest of his career, although he may take issue with that, he'd probably suggest he's still in that right now. But uh, I mean, they they made a movie about him in the first person. Right? Like this is he played himself in a movie about himself while his career was still going. And yeah, there was a lot of content. There is a lot of content on Howard Stern that a lot of people might say, well, that's not my taste. A lot of other people just absolutely love it. I mean, he's unbelievable at what he does. Um, it's not up to I don't believe it's up to me or you or certainly not the government to decide whether or not Howard Stern can do a whole show on titties. Uh, he can do whatever he wants. And if 150 million people keep downloading his content and showing up on his satellite radio show, then Sirius XM or whoever's paying his bills or whatever show we're talking about, Spotify, Joe Rogan, they're going to keep it going. It is a business. It is the business of controversy. I'm trying to think of what was the what was that really not the was it the last temptation of Christ? I think that was like a really controversial movie that a lot of people were really upset about. Uh, but it was big at the box office. You take a look at books. I mean, Salman Rushdie's books um, obviously have, have I mean, he's had, you know, I mean, basically calls for his life. Uh, but the books have obviously been bestsellers. When you take a look at controversy, who can or cannot say something? Was it the Charlie Hebdo offices that were all shot up because one of their political cartoonists had drawn and invoked the likeness of Muhammad in the pages of that magazine? And there was a terror attack. I think in 2015, January of 2015, if I remember correct, in their Paris-based head office, you know, would people argue that you shouldn't be able to draw photos of Muhammad because uh, people who follow the Muslim faith would be offended by it? Or is it your right to draw those photos? I mean, we could take this from 100 different angles. I would love if everybody could say, well, Joe Rogan's just a comedian and the former host of Fear Factor and don't worry about it. And because that's kind of the way I look at it. And to be honest with you, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast from time to time. I'm not religious about it because I listen to a ton of podcasts. I am not among those that believe that Joe Rogan should be pulled from Spotify and and, and newsflash. Joe Rogan is not going to be pulled from Spotify. There's no chance that that's happening. The more that people talk about it, the more popular the podcast gets. And that's fine. 
I was talking to a friend of mine, Jenny, just yesterday, and she said, you know what's really interesting? I don't know if she'll love me putting these words in her mouth, but she made the observation. She says, you can say what you want about people, you know, Ottawa, like occupying the downtown core, people blocking the border at Coots, you know, people actually participating in the convoy. And she was quick to say, she's like, that's not me. I'm not, I don't see eye to eye with that. My views don't align with that. She goes, but what you cannot ignore is it by way of the crowdfunding? And it's got its own questions around that, obviously. The turnout as the convoy was going across the country. I witnessed it personally. I'm not talking Jenny now. This is Jespo now. I witnessed it personally. I told you that a couple of weeks ago. We were on our way back from Jasper. And the closer that I got to Edmonton, you know, it started at like, uh, Sam, the, the Rockford Bridge, kind of the Marathorpe turnoff, you know, just up, just past Hinton, just east of Hinton. And then and then it really started, you know, Stony Plain, Spruce Grove, all these communities. You'd see every overpass. There were people parked there with they're not all plants. You can't tell me they're all plants. They're not. These are real people. These are Canadian people. These are our fellow Canadians. And not every single one of them would fit the description of how the occupiers in downtown Ottawa are being described. Now, you're going to say, what's Jesperson doing here? Is he giving the occupiers a pass? Is he sympathetic to the people that are blocking illegally the border at Coots? Absolutely not. But I'm also saying that I don't think the numbers lie and you can't sit and say that 10 or 15 million Canadians that would probably quietly or otherwise support perspectives or certain elements of the arguments that some of these occupiers are making. You can't write off 15 million people. And if Joe Rogan's podcast sucked and nobody listened to it, this wouldn't be a conversation because there are a ton of podcasts out there that are bringing on guests that are spewing misinformation all over the place. It just so happens to be a fact that millions and millions and millions of people go to Joe Rogan for entertainment or otherwise. Hopefully not pandemic information, but a lot of people believe that when there's an unpopular or unfamiliar voice on a certain show, it must be because the rest of big media, mainstream media is working to stifle that voice and it gives it in a weird way some sort of credibility. Why are all the big players, CNN, MSNBC, why are they all the BBC? Why are they all ignoring this doctor? You know, thank goodness that Joe Rogan's willing to bring him on. Well, you're not comparing apples and apples there. And at the very least, there are very different editorial standards. So there's a lot to sift through here. I'd love to hear from you on this to talk at RyanJesperson.com. We've got so many emails to read. This is out of control. I was I, I don't mean I mean, we are environmentalists. If you're not an environmentalist, what's your problem? Um, but I would say that the environmentalists will not be happy to see. These aren't just the emails we receive. These are the emails that we receive. And I say we got to read these ones. I'm holding. I don't know what this is, Sam, 85 pieces of paper in my pocket. We're going to have to do a week of when Sarah Hoyles tells us that she wants to Hoyles, when you want to like disappear into the backcountry for like 10 days and not produce anything for the show, what we'll do is we'll just block off like five straight episodes and I'll just read emails. Sam can put music beds beneath us and I'll just read emails for days. I didn't know that that was an option. So I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm just going to pull the shoot right now and be like, okay, bye. Yeah. See you later. See bye. You <laughs> okay. Well, you file that away. Next, next time oils demands <laughs> vacation. That's what we'll do, Sam. We'll just read emails all day. Let me get to this one. And then we're going to talk about the last of the right whales. I'm looking forward to this conversation. But this one from Tina, not her real name, but I've verified the email. It comes from the legitimate source. This person is who they say they are. Tina says, please don't attach my name to this email. 
I'm an elected official in southern Alberta and I fear retribution. And she is. Uh, written from her official email uh, says I, I write you this uh, as an attempt at catharsis it feels as though the walls around us are closing in and while some embrace this surge for freedom I cannot help but worry what this is going to mean for society for our province for our country as somebody who takes an avid interest in politics and current events I find it increasingly hard to read the news every day feels like we're being torn apart And the ones who are supposed to be pulling us together are driving a wedge between us instead. Masks or no masks, restrictions versus freedom, leadership versus self-preservation. Our leaders continue to fail us, all of us, not just the ones that disagree with their particular stance on a particular day. Tina says at the heart of leadership, there should be an attempt to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people. But instead, we've seen our prime minister further ignite the fires of Western alienation and feed the narrative that so many conspiracy theorists crave. We've seen MPs and MLAs supporting Canadian citizens who are openly breaking the law, turning against their own supporters, their own parties in an attempt to pacify who they consider to be their base. We have a premier that's so disconnected from his own province, so engulfed in his own demise that he's managed to alienate Albertans from across the political spectrum, across walks of life. And we keep asking ourselves, is this the best we've got? The short answer appears to be yes. And why would the answer be any different? Why does that average Albertan, the average Canadian, want to be dressed down every time they show their face in public, to be vilified on social media, to have billboards telling you to basically go fuck yourself, to have your own family pin you down and question your ethics? For every hardworking cousin who's a nurse, there's an uncle who's flying his Canadian car flags and handing out Timmy's at the border blockade. And they all want to tell you why they're right. As a person who's let their name stand on a ballot... And who's won an election. I have no appetite to go down that road again. Why would I continue to try to fill everybody's bucket when mine is run dry? It kills me to feel I have to be politically correct. To say the right thing. To not rock the boat when we're clearly no longer behind the wheel. We've abandoned the middle. We've lost the notion of compromise. We're tired. We're fed up. And it appears that we're tired of giving in. So here we are. We've lost our decency. And for what? Tina says, you know what freedom is? Freedom's living in a country that looks so great from the outside that families are willing to freeze to death to get in. We're not that far removed from a family perishing in an attempt to walk across an imaginary line to a better life. What a sad story that was. She says, and instead of celebrating what we have, we tear each other to threads for what we think we are owed. This is a great country. This is a great province. We need to open our eyes, our ears, and take stock of what we've got. It's not perfect. It's far from. We have unlimited potential, but we continue to be our own worst enemy. This will fall on deaf ears, maybe, but let's give some thought to picking people up instead of pushing them down. Let's listen instead of trying to shout over the noise. Let's acknowledge that our opinions may not always be right and that other people are entitled to theirs. Let's not forget what made us the envy of the world. That Canadian flag still means something. It's everybody's flag, and it belongs to us all. That from Tina. And that's going into the mix for email of the month. I really appreciate it. 
We will dramatically change direction in just a little bit. We're going to take a look at The Last of the Right Whales. It's a new film, a powerful documentary. I'm a huge fan of whales. I don't know about you, but we're coming up on World Whale Day five days from now. We wanted to do something for it. Filmmaker is going to join us, an award winner, in just a second. But I want to let you know that the Growing the North Conference is coming up February 22nd. That's a week from now. Your chance to explore, innovate, and grow at the 13th Annual Conference scheduled for February 22nd through the 24th. This one's virtual, of course, which means that there are no barriers to you attending. You're going to be looking at three half days, opportunities to learn more, to broaden your understanding of where industry and the economy is going, in particular in northern Alberta, and what networking opportunities there as well, including six keynote presentations. You can learn more about tourism, innovation, and leadership as an example. You're not going to want to wait to get your tickets. You can learn more. Check out the speaker's roster and the event schedule at growingthenorth.com. Tickets are available now. It all gets going on February 22nd through the 24th at growingthenorth.com. Our Real Talk Wine of the Month this month is Kendall Jackson. We love Kendall Jackson so much we've kept him on for a couple of months. And it's not just because I've had a chance to get into their wines. And I want to tell you how good they are from their Grand Reserve, the Vintners Reserve. They do a Chardonnay like no other winemaker along that West Coast in big part to how they're treating their soil. Their sustainability initiatives mean they approach their use of water how they fallow and furlough those fields, and also how they're integrating solar into their bottling process. It's winning them awards. You can learn more online at kj.com. Still family-owned after all these years. Ask for Kendall Jackson wherever you buy your fine wine. And if you don't see it on the store shelf, you ask for it. Ask for Kendall Jackson, our Real Talk Wine of the Month. You know, speaking of solar, of course, I don't have to tell you when we think solar, we think Kubi Energy. They've been bringing solar energy solutions to Western Canadians for coming up on a decade now. Agricultural applications, industrial and commercial, and of course, residential. Make sure you check out their Instagram. They've got beautiful posts. Sam, you'd love these installs. They're so clean. There's something to a clean install, eh? Oh, oh, uh, cable management gets me, get, gets my heart fluttering. I see. You're like, you're like a baker with piping on icing. That's how you like roll cables and lay them out here in the studio. This is something that uh, our associate producer Emily and I have in common is how much we drool over good cable management. There's something with a clean install. I knew you'd appreciate that. They're Tesla certified installers. These aren't just like your drunk Uncle Larry up there on the roof. These are journeymen and apprentices. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Well, as mentioned, uh, we're coming up on uh, World Whale Day, and uh, this is a day where I think uh, we're probably going to have uh, a lot of focus, right, including uh, the fact that a lot of whales, to be honest with you, are threatened. It's a threatened species. Now, it probably depends on uh, which whales we're talking about, which species and, and which oceans we're talking about and different threats, environmental fishing or otherwise. But how much do we know? about whales arguably the most magnificent certainly the largest creatures on planet earth and for that matter how much do we know about right whales there's a new film out a documentary the last of the right whales and i'm thrilled to welcome to the program the award-winning producer director and writer of that film nadine pecuneza uh nadine did i pronounce your last name okay i don't want to do the whole interview if i'm if i'm really butchering it can you school me real quick 
You are very close. Pequeniza. Pequeniza. Well, listen, we're thrilled to have you here. Congratulations on the film. Um, full disclosure, I'm a scuba diver, and uh, one of the most magical experiences of my life was diving the Molokini back wall uh, on Maui and hearing the humpbacks sing. I had shivers going up and down my spine for about 35 minutes. Uh, I don't know a lot about right whales. How did right whales wind up on your radar? You know, in 2017, there were 17 deaths, uh, 12 of them in Canadian waters. And so it was in the news, what seemed like constantly. Uh, And then, you know, we were told that the reason they were dying was because of us. You know, ship strikes and fishing gear entanglement are the two biggest threats that these whales face. And so that's what really put them on my radar. And the fact that there's only 336 of these whales left. I mean, when we started filming, there were 411 was the estimated number. So this is really an urgent situation. Uh, That's what caught my attention. Just to be clear, uh, it's believed that there are just 336 left in the world, like left in existence. Correct. Okay, so losing 17 a year is a bit off the top of my head. That's about 5% of the entire population. Um, What is it? What is it about Canada? Is it is it just that this is where they tend to gravitate? Is it is it how we regulate our fishing waters? What is it about Canada's involvement in these deaths? Yeah, well, the change, the big change has been where the whales are going to feed. So because of climate change, the changing ocean currents is redistributing their food. And so they eat a copepod, a type of plankton, and it comes down from the Arctic because the Gulf Stream is moving further north. It's actually cutting off the supply. So they used to go to the Bay of Fundy regularly. Two thirds of the population would go there to feed. But now they are no longer going there and they're coming up into the Gulf of St. Lawrence looking for food and so since 2015 they've been coming in large numbers but those deaths that occurred in 2017 is because we're not used to seeing them there and the type of protection measures that you need to have in place uh, like speed restrictions on shipping uh, vessels and also closures of, of fishing in certain times when the whales are present because it's that vertical line that sits in the water that'll attach a buoy to a trap whether it be a lobster trap or a crab trap at the bottom of the ocean that's what they can get ensnarled in and so uh those are the two biggest threats for those whales uh i want to point out that your film 90 minutes has already been awarded best canadian feature at 2021's Planet in Focus International Environmental Film Festival, which is a big deal, and congratulations on that. And I suspect it won't be the last of the honors. You talk to not just marine biologists. We've actually we're just coming out of a conversation on expert voices and commentary, incredible information. So this is a nice tie in here, a nice dovetail, Nadine. But you talk to whale rescuers, you talk to wildlife photographers based on what they're seeing, but you also talk to crab fishers. You talk to people on these fishing vessels. Um, What surprised you or what was noteworthy with regards to those conversations? I would imagine in so many ways as hunters want to see sustainability succeed, that those that are in the fishing industry aren't exactly looking for a black eye. They probably want to do their part. Is that what you found in talking to them? Yeah. Well, the reason why I thought it was like Martin Noel is the person that's in the film, the crab fisherman, and he's one of many who are experimenting with ropeless gear, you know, gear that is, that is, uh, presents less of a risk to the whales. And for me, fishermen are often portrayed as the villains in this story. And it's not, uh, it's not true. There are, just as he said, hunters want to see sustainability. So do fishermen want a healthy ocean. You know, their livelihood is dependent on that. And so, 
they're also the ones who are on the ocean and they're the ones whose, uh, you know, fishing systems have to be changed or processes or the timing of their fishing. So you can't think that you're going to solve this problem without engaging them uh, in, in finding the solution. And so that's why I wanted Martin uh, to be in the film and to and to talk about what it's like to try and switch gear because uh, you know people have been fishing with these vertical lines for you know generations. That's the way you fish crab and lobster. So to ask fishermen to change, and when they didn't even know there was a problem because North Atlantic right whales were not in the vicinity in the Gulf of St. Lawrence before. So you're asking people to change the way they've been doing things for generations. Um, and then to acknowledge a, a problem that they were unaware of. And so I think people have to understand that when we're trying to build consensus and find solutions and we have to do it quickly. Uh, because time's running out for these well, whales. Your film points out that this this species could be extinct in the next twenty years, uh, which is a huge deal. What's the li- before I ask you for the lifespan? Because I think you're about to hit us right in the heart with this one, and it's not your fault. You're just reporting the facts. Uh, but I'm reading a summary of your film, and, and this is a tough one to read. Uh, you know, these formidable allies. Uh, you're talking about people joining forces uh, determined to stop the world's first great whale extinction. With just over 330 right whales remaining, these great whales rarely die of natural causes. That sucks to hear. Like virtually every death of a right whale is caused by humans, by mankind. That's virtually what that says. I mean, that's brutal. Yeah, it's a hard fact to even uh, digest, you know, to understand and comprehend that we could actually be responsible uh, for the extinction of a species that's been on this planet for millions of years. Um, but the good news is, and really what we try to show in the film, is that these deaths are preventable, and we've done it in the past. You know, we've moved shipping lanes, we've put in place speed restrictions, we've closed fishing uh, at certain times when the whales are present, and now we're experimenting with different types of gear that could really reduce the threat. And so there are, you know, it is possible uh, to put in place protections for this species. And I should point out, it's not just North Atlantic right whales that suffer from gear entanglement and ship collisions, you know, it's all marine mammals. And so if we can tackle these problems, we can have an impact not on this, not just on this species, but on, on marine life in general. In completing this film, uh, are you more or less confident that the future of North Atlantic right whales can be a positive story like digging in. Did you did you have reason to believe that this can end well or armed with all of the information that you've discovered or uncovered? uh, Do you have a bit of a pit in your stomach? Where are you feeling on the spectrum? I'm more on the positive side Um, that that is also my nature. But I have to say, meeting the people uh, that I did who've been working on this for decades, you know, some of them like. Uh, Stormy Mayo and Moira Brown and Barb Zitzma, some of the characters that you meet on the fil- in the film, they've been doing this for so long. But then there's also young people coming in like Nick Hawkins, you know, doing his cinematography work. There's uh, citizen scientists who are joining forces with the scientists in Florida, helping to identify new calves every year, you know, just surveying from the beach. 
Um, and there's a young person, Lily Pinkman, who's in that group. So I think the quality of people and the dedication that I saw to protecting these whales is what's really going to draw people into the film. And then it's getting to know the whales on an individual level because they do know them that way. You know, they know grandmothers and mothers and calves and they know where they feed and where they like to rear their young. They are really individuals. And so through the film, the audience gets to know them on that level as well. We're following Snow Cone and her first calf over the course of two and a half years. And just watching what happens to that pair in the time that we are making the film tells you everything you need to know about what has to happen in order for us to protect and save this species. Okay. I've seen it, but we're not going to, I'm not going to ask you any further questions about that storyline. Uh, we're just going to let people discover that one for themselves. Cause that's an important one. I want to let people know that last of the right whales is screening across the country in theaters, starting in February, official selections of the Victoria and Calgary international film festivals. Um, we can just show you here on the, on the website, last of the right is where you can check out uh, the trailer. And of course, where you'll be able to find it in theaters. Uh, the filmmaker behind this is Nadine Pequenisa, and I'm so grateful that you've made time to talk to us today. On, on behalf of, can I issue a, a statement on behalf of humankind and thank you for your work? I, I might be, I might be stepping into bigger boots than I should be wearing, but uh, let me just say, as an animal lover, as a whale lover, I really, in all sincerity, appreciate your advocacy. It's a remarkable bit of storytelling. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about it and let people know about the film. Yeah, you bet. Congratulations on a, on a job beautifully done. Lastoftherightwhales.com is where you can learn more about it. And of course, make sure to check it out. It's it's touching down in Western Canada, where the majority of our audience is, uh, you know, about next week-ish, depending on what city you're talking about. Calgary, Edmonton, Kelowna, list goes on. Central, Eastern Canada. She's touring the film. Uh, so you'll have a chance to check it out and make sure you do. You can let me know your thoughts. There's something about whales. Uh, I, I posted some photos on my Instagram back in September. Was it late August or early September? I was lucky enough to get out to it's called Valdez Island. It's just off Galliano Island, uh, just off Vancouver. Basically, you take a ferry to get there and then a float plane in. And it's a really remarkable spot. It's it's kind of. Uh, untouched like Sam all these people that build their cottages out there in these cabins like a lot of mm -hmm. them are built with the driftwood they've found um, there's solar and sustainability everywhere people are getting their water from the rain barrels that fall I mean it's just one of these places um, where I'm going to go immediately as soon as all hell breaks loose so the if apocalypse you've made the sale, stop selling like good God yeah, I know I speak in my language I don't here. know why I told everybody the specific island why did I tell everybody yeah, that like it's going to be real talk island now. yeah it's it's like when I talk about some of my favorite fishing lakes I go they're so hard to get into they're such a pain in the ass to get into that I'm willing to tell you where they are because if you get there you've earned the right to be there not the point so we're out on Valdez one morning we're sitting there with a the coffee and, and my buddy who has the place out there he goes up oh, there he goes there they are I'm like what and he goes, the orcas. And all of a sudden, as they started getting closer, he goes, oh, nope, those are humpbacks today. And I go, well, what? How can you tell? And he starts talking to me. And sure enough, we waited there for about half an hour as they slowly. I mean, he's got these eagle eyes, right? Speaking of which, by the way, there were bald eagles that were making their way over above. And there's seals. And the seals, of course, draw in the orcas. And then the humpbacks are making their way through. It's just an unbelievable spot. But there was something, and it was not lost on me, that as as those whales slowly got close, you wouldn't see them for a while, and then poof, you'd see the blowhole. Oh, there they are, right? And I'm realizing these are these are like this is a group. There's five of us, and we're all standing there, captivated, for half an hour, forty five minutes, just staring at the horizon, 
just trying to see these signs. I mean, there's something about whales that just captivates our imagination. You know, living beings the size of city buses or bigger is making their way through. Something about whales. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. Whales are gorgeous. I've seen whales in the wild once, I think. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was on Vancouver Island. Went out, went out on a boat trying to spot some whales and saw a few of them off in the distance, a little bit of the spray, a little bit of the blow. And it's just like, you're right. It's, it's, I think part of it is also like when whales surface, you get the sound. You get, yeah. the, uh, you get that big rush coming out of the blowhole. And it's just like, it's, it's all your senses light up at once when you see a whale. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, and not to be the jerk whales. We talk about the wonder around whales and what beautiful animals they are. And Sam is absolutely correct in identifying the power of hearing that blowhole. And then you hear, and then the blowhole closes and then they go down again and they go down, down, down. And they're just the, I mean, you know, I mean, orcas in particular, just, you know, the, the most formidable apex predator on planet Earth. Orcas, I'm explaining to Wyatt, our son, the other day, how orcas can actually beat up on great whites. He goes, no, they can't. I said, let's try to find some videos because I said, you wouldn't believe. I said, great whites leave the room when the orcas show up. It's like a 50s. It's like John Travolta in Greece. And like, but the thought then these majestic creatures and sorry to take this here, but that's kind of the whole point caught up and tangled in fishing lines and suffocating. Uh, it sort of prompts you to act in a way. And for some people, it might just be supporting a film or it might be making a donation to an environmental advocacy group or whatever. Um, it also, on a split side, takes me down the conversation of how we really only care to protect animals that we find beautiful, and we don't really care about the other ones, right? I mean, yellowfin tuna right now are going, where's our documentary? <laughs> Come on. Well, that, uh, okay. Well, that, add it to the Real Talk Relay Communications <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah. The, the, the farmed salmon are like, you know, what are we? Chopped liver and chopped liver's going, why are you using that? Why are you bringing us into this? Come on. I don't know. Have you ever had a chance to see sort of whales in their natural habitat? Uh, whales, no. Dolphins, yes. Oh, yeah. So seeing them and like trying to get out to the, I was on uh, Oahu in Hawaii, one of the Hawaiian islands. And yeah, we saw some dolphins going swimming and everyone's like, let's go, let's go swim with them. And I like got maybe two meters out. Maybe not even that. It was like, ah, I can't do it. It's like the ocean is too vast. It's too big. It scares me. Oh, my gosh. Well, that uh, that's understandable. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, certainly magnificent creatures. I don't even want to put. Have you have you seen the film The Cove? Have you seen The Cove? I can't, I, I can't. Okay. I can't. I saw I saw I the trailer. You. I saw the the images of the water full of blood from yeah. the killing of all the. And I was like, nope. Yeah. Can't it's, do it. I've seen enough. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's one of those films where I would say you have to watch it and you shouldn't watch it at the same time. But I'm like 51. You have to watch it. 49. You shouldn't watch it because it because it's tough to watch. But if you haven't seen the cove, um, you'll never want to protect dolphins more and you'll never be more furious. Probably. Um, <laughs> then watching the cove, I'd be curious to hear. If, let me drop in on. The, I haven't even said hi to the live chat this morning. My apologies. I bet you there's a whole bunch of people. Oh, I hear Joe Rogan comments scrolling through that. Okay, uh, one of you says, uh, Tracy says, I'd love to see whales in person. I'm in awe of owls, but a bucket list would be seeing orcas. Yeah, no kidding. Scott says Maui in February is the place to be for humpbacks. You know it, Scott. Like in Lahaina there or Kihei or one of those beautiful Wailea, one of those beautiful communities on Maui. And you can just you look out that Molokini craters right and there's humpbacks almost. I mean, all, you're almost guaranteed humpback sightings. Just amazing. 
Jerry says that her 17-year-old's reading a book right now on Ocean Life, uh, read about sperm whales, says their heart only beats five times a minute when they're doing deep dives. Incredible. And then Kimmy says, uh, chiming in on yellowfin tuna, but not in the way that the tuna will want, Kimmy. She says yellowfin tuna is delicious. <laughs> yes, it is. Especially right off the back of a fishing boat. <laughs> I can tell you firsthand. She says, so we care about them. You know, honestly, we should be talking about how nobody cares about insects or rodents. Also true. Also true. Uh before we get to the results of our question of the week, <laughs> speaking of traveling, to, we, boy, we get we can get off track very quickly, can't we? That's part of the magic of the show. That's kind of part of the whole point. It's real talk. This is how people really talk at parties and around campfires. We get distracted. We go off on tangents. We keep it real. If you're headed to Maui or anywhere else hot, if you've earned the right to feel the sand between your toes again, may I suggest that you book your airport parking right now at jetsetparking.com. If you happen to be flying out of Edmonton International Airport, in particular, the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com will allow you to book your spot for just $7 a day. You're gone for a week? That's $49. Can you believe it? To park for an entire week at Edmonton's International Airport. This is good for travel all the way through till 2022. You got to book with a minimum 24 hours in advance, but why wait? I mean, you know you're leaving. You know the departure date. Why not book your airport parking today using the promo code REALTALK? Gets you $7 a day airport parking at jetsetparking.com. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, you know them, in 16 different Alberta communities, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned, still family-owned and operating Mike's meal of the month this month. Mike is one of the brothers. Well, his rooster sandwich is getting everybody all excited. The crispy fried Alberta chicken sandwich featuring their own sriracha coleslaw for a kick of flavor in every bite. And of course, they've got their father dough to go pizza. The hot hen, a little kick for those chicken pizza lovers. You can find it at Friesen Brothers. By the way, I want to clarify this father dough to go pizza. It's not frozen pizza. It's fresh. You throw it in your oven and it'll go toe to toe with any delivery pizza. Our family guarantees it. As a matter of fact, Friday is pizza and a movie night in the Jesperson household. And that means for us, father go father dough to go pizza from Friesen Brothers. Our friends at Park Power want to remind you that they have been offering the entire time they've been sponsoring Real Talk fixed rates. Now, a lot of you have been going variable rates. You like to ride the lightning. Uh, I'm one of you. All right. I like it when it's low and then we get beat up a little bit when the rates rise, don't we? We've all seen that. They do offer fixed rates at parkpower.ca. You can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet today. And when you decide to take your business to the friendly local utilities provider at Park Power, they'll do all the dirty work. They'll break up with your current utilities provider so you don't have to. You can find them online at parkpower.ca. Sam, let's tee up our uh, question of the week results. Every single week, we partner with Wise Station, our official research and strategy partners, to pull the audience to see where you're at on issues that matter. Let's take a look. We asked you how you feel about this Ottawa occupation. Well, and by the way, the question of the week this week, it's up. It's ready for you under the connect link at ryanjesperson.com. We're, we're asking you about the conservative leadership race. And I'm curious to know where you're going to land on that. But this week, last week, our February 10th topic was the occupation of Ottawa and the truck convoy. Here's some of the highlights of what you told us. More than 900 of you chimed in, almost a thousand. Let's get it there. Almost more than 900 of you 
Three out of four, 74% of you say we're removing COVID restrictions too fast. This was based on the Alberta government lifting these restrictions. Why did I fuck that whole thing up? The auto occupation was last week's. We already presented those results. What am I doing, Jess? There's some common threads. What am I doing? This is about Alberta lifting COVID restrictions. See, this is why Y Station handles the polling. If I do, we're in trouble. So the auto occupation was last week. Jeez. And we went through that on Thursday, didn't we? Here we go. So 74, three out of four of you believe that we're lifting COVID restrictions too fast. That means one in four of you doesn't think that, which is also noteworthy. Here's another interesting point. Half of you, 49%, just under half, say that removing restrictions won't change your current behavior. Good on you. Why would it? You don't need the government to tell you what to do. You want to keep wearing your mask? Fine. Here's another one. 81% of you, four out of five, believe that the upcoming leadership review, Jason Kenney's on April 9th, is a major motivation for the premier to reduce restrictions. Four out of five of you believe that's what's prompting it, which is interesting because they didn't name the truck convoy. They're saying it's the leadership review. And here's another highlight. This is pulled from the team at Y Station. More than three out of four of you, 77% of real talkers believe these changes were made in part because of the protests at the border. Smack dab between three out of four and four out of five, but a majority of you believe that those restrictions were lifted in part due to these demonstrations, including at Coots. Uh, 13% of you had a more moderate view of this whole thing, saying it's time for some restrictions to be lifted, but others should maybe maybe stay. Uh, I'm in that 13%. I feel like some can be lifted, common sense-wise. A lot of people have their boosters. There's more room to roam. We're getting into warmer climate, sort of, you know, summer. People can gather outside in larger groups, but I still have hesitations. That's my personal opinion. Of those of you with kids or a loved one in schools, Get this, just 9% of you, fewer than 1 in 10, said it was time for kids to be kids and take those restrictions away. 1 in 10, which is pretty interesting stuff. We also give you an opportunity to fill in the blanks here and have your say. And so a lot of this is yes, no, or I'm this, that, or the other, multiple choice style. But when we actually get you to fill in the blanks, we asked you about your favorite protest movement of all time, which I liked. Did you hear this one? I thought this was great. Your favorite protest movement of all time. One of you said, I very much loved how angry boomers got about school-aged kids protesting a lack of climate change policy inspired by Greta Thunberg. That was your favorite. Another one of you said, I I prefer protests that actually matter, uh, like climate change protests, protests around missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, and indigenous land protection. The most popular answer for your most favorite protest movement of all time was Martin Luther King and the U.S. Civil Rights Movement. The second most popular answer, somewhat related, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations and other modern protests that BLM paved the way for. That was an interesting one. Uh, One of you mentioned the Tiananmen Square tank man. You said it was a true show of personal strength. Uh, In my mind, one of the greatest, like really bold claim, one of the greatest photos ever snapped, obviously. Colin Kaepernick taking a knee for the American anthems. How about Eminem doing it at the halftime show the other day? Teachers protesting cuts in the Ralph Klein era. And another one of you said your favorite protest movement of all time. None of them. You said protests make me sick. Okay. When we ask for anything else you might want to share, one of you said, I'm, I am immunocompromised and I have a history of difficult recovery from pneumonia and bronchitis. And I really wish that we had a government and a population that truly cared about people like me. 
Another one of you said removing public health measures before little kids can be vaccinated is so overwhelming to me as a parent of two little kids. Uh, it'll make me do and spend far less in my community. I know it sucks to wear a mask. I am over this pandemic like everybody else. But the reality is the pandemic's not over with us. And with positivity rates above 30 percent, healthcare being overwhelmed, measures should come down to when the science says so. Another one of you says, I'm just sad to see this division. I'd normally consider myself a small C conservative, uh, but now I detest the sort of alt-right Trumpian attitude that many in our party hold dear. It's like the political Moses parted the ocean and there's now only left and right, them and us. So who's the Moses? Yeah, okay. We'll leave that for another day. You can take part in our question of the week this week. As mentioned on our website, we make it super easy to find. You just go to ryanjesperson.com. You click on the connect link, and then that's where you'll find our question of the week. And as mentioned, we're asking you about the conservative party leadership race. Sam, while we're showing off our website, leave it up here and let me show you what happens when you go to merch. Did you see my tweet yesterday, everybody? Right here, along with our Crescent Studio mug, our vinyl sticker pack, our Real Talk golf balls, our T-shirts, and our new era snapback caps, may I unveil officially our Real Talk fitted T-shirt. Real Talkers, you spoke and we listened. We heard from a ton of you, particularly of the female persuasion who said, uh, your shirts are great but they're a little boxy. Could you get us a fitted t-shirt? And we said, we certainly can, my friends. And so if you go to ryanjesperson.com, you can order your fitted t-shirt today. And don't forget, shipping is always on us. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you before we wrap the show today that today's a perfect day to get in touch with them about bringing your outdoor space to life. I am not declaring winter over. I'm, I've spent too many Canadian winters here in this northern climate to know that just because temperatures are mild and ice is melting in the backyard and people are starting to wear their jackets with the zippers undone that we probably still have another big blizzard waiting to smack us around. But it is a good reminder that landscaping projects can take longer than you think once we start talking about pulling real property reports and ordering the construction materials and breaking ground and the whole nine yards. If you want your outdoor kitchen or your water feature or your retaining wall ready for July, August, September, today's a perfect day to go landscapeedmonton.ca. Get in touch with Mike and his team so they can get the ball rolling on your picture-perfect design. Also wanted to remind you that our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge had a big weekend. They had that big Wrangler sale going on. You know, you're not going to find a better selection of the Jeep brand trusted since 1941 than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. It's so easy to search their inventory online. You just punch in the make and the model that you're looking for. You can punch in your maximum price even, and it will coordinate the search, a custom search for you. They've got their new and used inventory online. Of course, if you're like me and you'd rather feel those heated steering wheels or you'd rather see how that leather feels watch the leather you can go see him in person all distancing protocols mass protocols in place at sherwood and st albert dodge tomorrow's show you're not going to want to miss it number one two of my favorite political commentators are going to join us to break down the emergencies act what it means the conservative leadership race sapria devetti and the national post correspondent tristan hopper plus are you going dry or dry ish this month, laying off the sauce. Don't miss our dry February roundtable coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk. We'll see you then. They're gonna let you up.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.